Good day, change cultivators. And I want to start with a question for you. Are you an innovator? Is your team made up of innovators? Do you think you can make your team innovators if they have to? You know, in our podcast discussions on change cultivating, we talk about disruption, we talk about creativity, we talk about business transformation. And one of the key things in that space is approaching innovation creatively. So we're going to have a great conversation ahead. We've got Leo Chan, formerly of Chick-fil-A, formerly of State Farm, uh, a renowned expert in a lot of facilitation techniques to help drive creativity and innovation thinking companies. Uh, and Roz, I am sure during the course of this conversation, we are going to talk about, oh, chicken and maybe <laughs> hatching things and playing with Legos. And all of that will make sense in our conversation. So welcome to Change Cultivators. And hi, Roz, how are you? Hi, Patrick. Good to be back and great to have Leo on the show. I'm a, a big fan, as, as Patrick knows, of the Chick-fil-A brand. So very, very excited to be talking about Chick-fil-A and Legos and all things fun with, with Leo Chan today. Leo, welcome. Say hello to our listeners. I, uh, I'm honored to be here and it's a wonderful opportunity to chat about all the things you just mentioned. <laughs> so Leo, I could do a poor job of giving a quick thumbnail bio of you, but you could probably do it so much better. So I kind of set up a few themes. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your experience and what you do now? Yeah, so uh, formerly trained graphic designer turned innovator in corporate. So I work for design and marketing agencies here in Toronto, Canada. Ended up in uh, State Farm Insurance of all places doing uh, graphic design. Moved to U.S. corporate in uh, many years ago, and then I found this innovation department that State Farm so happily launched at the same time I moved down. Uh, fell in love with this discipline of innovation. To me, it was creativity smashed with technology, smashed with talking to people, smashed with customers, and all that. And so I said, this was. This is me. You need me. I convinced their leadership to bring me over into this world of innovation and fell in love with it ever since. So I've uh, had the opportunity then to move to uh, Chick-fil-A Innovation for several years, uh, where I got to develop innovators, train innovators, culture building, all sorts of really fun things. And then I recently moved back here home to Toronto and opened up my own firm called Abound Innovation. Super. Well, we are so grateful you chose to join us. So let's dig in. Roz. Yes. So Leo, you know, I want to talk about Chick-fil-A, but I'm going to park that for later. Why don't, we start, off with, why don't we start off with, with Legos? Because, you know, toys are fun. And um, you've got this concept of Lego serious play. Um, yeah. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about how it works, how you've used it, um, what impact it has on teams, and, and really how the concept of a, a child's play fits into a business corporate or team environments. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I found out about in, uh, Lego Serious Play at the front end of Innovation Conference in 2015. Um, and so they actually had a workshop and I'm like, what is that? <laughs> Lego Serious Play? Like, I'm going there. So it was a workshop that introduced the methodology to all the conference participants. And I was ever since wanted to get trained on it, learn more about it, wanted to become a facilitator. Uh, and so I tried taking that training through State Farm, but I wasn't allowed. I wasn't able to convince my leadership, but uh, at Chick-fil-A, I, I was able to convince my leadership to let me get trained. So I got trained on the methodology in 2019. And essentially, it's what it's really interesting because you use Lego bricks to build models. And so it, it uses the system of Lego to construct meaning uh, out of, of models that participants build. So the way it works is that you're posed a question, 
and you have a curated set of Lego bricks. So these are not bricks that you would just buy from a play kit and just put them together. They're intended for metaphor, storytelling, creativity, imagination. So they're curated. So there's there's pieces like bridges and doors and windows and uh, flowers and colors and those types of things to allow for storytelling. So you respond to the question that the facilitator asked by building a model. And so once you build the model, you share your model. And then there's some time of reflection where people can dig in and ask questions and so on. So it's it's a pretty simple process, but it's incredibly, incredibly powerful. You get insights that you just couldn't even dream of getting because uh, in the training, I was I was told that when we share with each other orally, like verbally out loud, we use 15% of our brain. When you build with two hands, you engage 80% of your brain. Mm -hmm. And we know that there's the conscious and subconscious mind, right? So that means you're, you literally are tapping your subconscious mind. So answers that are kind of really, really deep within appear in the models that you build. And I've had this happen all the time to me where I'll, I'll put in something in the model and kind of start talking about it. And then I'll realize as I'm sharing the deeper insight that I didn't even realize was there. And then I'm always like, whoa, like that's amazing. As an example, last week, I was asked the question of how do you interact with customers? And so I built a model where I had a blue piece on the bottom of the model that I shared and blue is my favorite color. So I just put that there as like, hey, when I when I interact with customers, I bring my personality there. I don't kind of change myself like I'm part of that. But it was the foundation actually for the entire model. And I was like, no, like it's actually the foundation. My personality is the foundation for what I bring. And I didn't realize that I did that until I was sharing. And I was like, <laughs> like, well, oh my goodness, <laughs> like I didn't even know. And that happens all the time when you use Lego Serious Play. It, it literally gets you deeper insights on literally any topic. So you just start building and mm -hmm. then you analyze it afterwards, right? So you get asked a question, you've got to build the graphic and then you look, you, you, you then have to explain to That's the right. rest of the group what you've done. Okay. That's right. And the facilitator and knows how to ask questions, like poignant questions like, oh, does this color mean something? Oh, is this here for a certain reason? So they, it's a facilitated model. They know how to dig into it, to ask the right questions, to, to kind of draw out those insights. And then other participants can ask questions as well too. And, and Leo, can anyone get trained on this uh, modeling? Yeah, yeah, you can. Uh, there's facilitation training. So I'm, a, I'm actually a licensed trainer with Strategic Play Global. And so you can get trained to become a facilitator or if you just want to participate, you just need someone that knows how to design the workshops yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and facilitate it. But anybody can participate. And the nice thing is, uh, one of the one of my passion points is about psychological safety, but Lego Series Play enables psychological safety for participants because when we share something that's kind of deep to us, it's not easy, right? Some some people might respond poorly. And so having it built externally from us as a model allows mm. us to share more safely about it, but also invites the conversation for other people to join in. So Roz, if you're talking about the model I built, you're not talking about me, you're talking about the model. The as model, yeah, is yeah, right, yeah, not, yeah. not me, the model, but it's me, right? But yeah, it allows exactly. that conversation and, and, and it includes everybody to join in. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, just, it's such a powerful methodology from what I understand of it, because it gets work teams, leadership teams or work teams to kind of break down those barriers that they would have as they try to problem solve. And I know to close this conversation out, I know when you and I talked last week or the week before, it's about uncovering better ideas, right? Mm -hmm. It's about kind of getting to a point where the group is not stuck. Um, Duncan Mortal, uh, a, a guest who you, oh, I know you know who we've had on the, on the podcast before, Duncan talks about getting stuck in your river of thinking. Yeah. Right? Like as leaders, we get stuck in our river of thinking. So I view this methodology of Lego Serious Play as a way to get out of that. Is that fair for you to think about it and how you kind of bring a leadership team through a facilitated session to break down some of those barriers? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think I think one of the problems with traditional meetings is that 
Lego talks about 20% of people do 80% of the talking. So if you're in a traditional meeting, there's probably certain leaders that are sharing things and you're not necessarily getting the engagement from the rest of that 80%. So you're losing the potential of, of ideas, opinions, perspectives, and so forth. Lego series play requires everybody to build a model and everybody to respond. So if, if we're all responding to the same question, like what's, what's your vision for our department or our team? Everybody has to build a model and share it. So every, that means that everybody's voice is heard, it's all represented, and you you definitely get new perspectives and new sharing. And one of my favorite exercises, which I don't want to reveal the, the secret, <laughs> is, is building something that uses six pieces. Everybody has the same six pieces and you're building something. And you'd be amazed that everybody builds that same thing differently. I don't want to tell you what it is because it yeah. might reveal the surprise, but it's it's powerful because it shows that when we ask a question, we assume that we all see it the same way. And this simple exercise shows that we all bring diversity and a new new thought, new perspective to the table. So Patrick, see that in an entire meeting all day with different questions that we're doing, strategy planning, team building, culture building, you name it, you will get new ideas, new thoughts, absolutely. And plus you're tapping your subconscious, so that's coming in too. So powerful, you know, and yeah. so great. And you do that, you do that as part of your practice at the at your consulting firm. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I can I can facilitate the meetings, design the workshops, hold them, uh, but also the new offering I have now is I'm a licensed trainer of the, the methodology as well. So I can train people that are interested to become facilitators. Cool. So we just love to bring our listeners kind of new things, new techniques, new uh, ways of thinking about breaking down uh, existing barriers as you do innovation and you do creativity and you try to deal with transformation and disruption. So that's a big nugget for our listeners. So thank you. Thank you for that. I'm going to pivot this a little bit. I know you have this massive passion around developing people and leaders to be innovators, right? Yes, And there's absolutely. a lot of people who will say, I'm not innovative. Like I can't do that. You, I suspect would argue differently. <laughs> Absolutely. What, what say you? <laughs> I believe that anybody can be an innovator. Uh, and so I'll tie in my Chick-fil-A experience, but that was a mantra that we, we all believed. We believed that anybody was an innovator. Everybody at Chick-fil-A was an innovator. And so my charge was then, how do you then curate that? It's easy to say that, right? Oh, everybody's an innovator, right? You, you can do it. Right. But then how then do you go about actually adding some meat to the bones, if you will, and actually doing that? So I, I had the opportunity to craft that narrative at Chick-fil-A. Uh, we had a we had a program called Innovation Coaches, which is still true to today. And it was really around creating a army of innovator innovation ambassadors for the organization. But they were really to help share and spread the love. Um, but I, I always love that model of innovation for Chick-fil-A because they believed anybody could innovate. And so we, we had structures and systems and things in place to support that, that theory. Uh, and I, I saw that to be true in my experiences. Sweet. So anybody can be an innovator. You just have to cut and you can't just declare it. You can't just say, I am now an innovator, <laughs> but you actually have to think about it and make it a mindset and kind of support yes. it. And I love your comment about innovation coaches, right? So what would an innovation coach do at, in, in your Chick-fil-A world and how would they move the organization to this more universal innovators mindset? Yeah. So an innovation coach really was an ambassador for innovation. So I, I see engaging innovators in three ways. So first you want to engage the heart. I think there are people in every organization that are passionate about making a difference, making change. I think innovation is the vehicle that does that. Um, so that's one part. And then the second is the mind. So once you have the heart engaged, then how do we set you up for success in terms of thinking, thinking right? So what are the innovation mindsets uh, then you can equip people with? And once you got that done, then 
you know, giving them the actual skills. So is there a process that you can use? Uh, so Chick-fil-A practice design thinking, uh, they rebranded it the innovation process, which I actually like more than design thinking because design thinking can lead yourself to thinking you're a designer, um, but it's a little bit more broad in that sense. So getting getting the hearts engaged, getting the minds equipped, and then equipping the hands to actually do. So the coaches were skilled up in all three of those areas, and then they represented innovation in their department. So they what we loved about it was that they could represent that 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 person that thought differently. It was like they'll lob in the questions that are a little bit different than what you might expect. But they also knew if you were in the innovation journey and you're not sure exactly which way to go, they'll help you through it. They'll they'll be your consultant, they'll be your facilitator, they'll help think it through with you. So it helped kind of demystify this kind of oh yeah, innovate, everybody innovate, right? But it's like what does that actually mean? So they're your sure your your friend that kind of guides you along and coaches you along the journey. Yeah. And I can just hear some of our listeners saying, well, listen, I'm in the finance department or I'm in procurement. I'm not, in, yep. I'm not innovative, you know, like <laughs> I was actually, as, as Irony would have it, I was reading a, an article in Harvard Business Review just before we started. And it was uh, by Bass Corsten, train your brain to be more creative and, mm. and really just talking about the fact that creativity and innovation can be learned, you know, Absolutely. it's not, it's not limited to the right, the, the right brain people, you know, anybody really can, can, uh, you know, empower it. So I love your, um, your mission at your company, um, which is unleashing the power and joy of innovation and creativity in organizations. You speak about demystifying innovation intangible ways, ways that are catalysts for abounding innovation. And you also speak about um, openness being created through a beginner's mindset, which mm -hmm. I found very interesting. And I think, you know, we're talking about the, the, the different departments and different people in companies. It's hard to drive this kind of innovation and thinking in the more traditional organizations. Um, mm -hmm. You know, how do you coach teams to build this, uh, more entrepreneurial environment, particularly with people, as I say, who inherently think that's for the marketing department, you know, that's for the product yeah. department. Yeah, you know, I think I'm going back to Chick-fil-A's model because I'm a huge fan of it, but we had innovation coaches in legal, which may be surprising. We had innovation coaches in supply chain, procurement, financial services. So not, we also had them in marketing and, in, and IT, but it, it was... Uh, restaurant training, uh, learning and development. So they they cross all departments because we do believe that you can you can innovate in different ways. And innovation to me is just f looking in the world, finding a new way to do something, and then implementing that, making some sort of um, impactful change. So you can't do that in supply chain, even how you procure new suppliers or that entire process. I think anything can be impacted by innovation. It's just that we need the the way in, right? I think innovation is a platform for people that have ideas to actually execute in an organization, which is why I'm such a fan of it. And and I, and I always have to say this too. I think create, innovation is the platform, but creativity is the engine underneath. It's the fuel that that fuels that. So it's important for adults and anybody in, in any organization to learn how to think more creatively. And so what I did was hide the word creativity under innovation at Chick-fil-A because the word creativity can kind of scare people, we might think of creativity as the artists and designers and musicians yeah. and so on, but it, it's it's for everybody. If you can think of a new way to do something, you're creative. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and, and I, I love how you said you buried the word creativity, <laughs> right? Because yeah. as, as scary as innovation is to a lot of people, they understand that innovation is necessary and yeah. they can ascribe themselves to having to be innovative, but creativity uh, is, is a scary word. 
to a lot of yeah. people. I am fundamentally not creative. You are either born that way or you are not. <laughs> so let's dig into that just a hair before we go any yeah. further. So you and your consulting practice and your teaching and that kind of stuff, how is there some tips or tricks that you use to help people recognize their innate creativity and apply it? Yeah, you know, I I think creativity needs. I'll say that it needs help. So I was a designer. I said that at the start of the of our chat today, right? I've a I I had graphic design practices, and I learned how to be designer. But graphic designers don't just come up with ideas, right? We need we need fuel for the brain, or I call it fodder or stimulus for the brain, right? So we as a designer, we would go out and look for inspiration in, in the world. And I don't know if that's sort of a common trend for corporates and people that work in corporates, like. When was the last time you had an idea and like, I'm going to go look for inspiration first and then I'm going to start on it. But as a designer, that's what I would do. I would look at uh, different interfaces, different colors. I'd walk around outside, all those types of things. So I was actually feeding my brain really interesting material so that when I actually was solving my design challenge, I had stuff to play with. And so as an innovator, that's what I've done throughout corporate. I would look around and go on inspiration walks and do these types of things that would allow me then to have stimulus for the brain and then and then have fodder to use. And one of my my favorite hacks that I used to do was I would read a creative brief. So whenever you have, when, and I encourage anybody to do this, you want to think more creatively on something, start reading whatever you're supposed to do. If, if you got the, the download from your boss and you just read like, okay, Leo, you're supposed to do this understand what it is and then don't do anything for like a week or two go let your mind kind of percolate and look around and go for walks and watch shows and listen to music talk to people and what your brain will do in the background it'll start processing this project that you need to start and it'll, and it'll actually give you feel that you can then use so two weeks later come back to what you didn't start yet but you were sort of letting incubate on the backside and then come back and you'll you'll be amazed that you actually have all this fodder that that now you can use in the work and so a lot of times we just kind of expect it to happen but there's actually these little tools that you can use like in just doing that simple trick that can really help you get get along and there's so many tools that'll help you if you're actually trying to create a new idea for something there's so many great tools that you can use including lego that can help you think differently about it so i think it's just knowing that there's tools that are available leaning into those but i think Roz mentioned this it is a it is a muscle you need to practice being more creative or putting yourself in situations where you can you know you're looking for inspiration as an as an example yeah and that's that's you know you be really hitting home the core of this article in, in harvard business review i was reading i mean they talk about developing creativity engage with nature walking around yeah. looking at the trees looking at nature meditating yeah. get moving you know exercise you know decluttering your brain and getting connected with different types of people that you wouldn't normally associate with so yeah it's, it's beautiful and and as you say they're tools and they're not expensive complicated tools it's right. learning as you say to build that muscle to be open to it and and making sure you're spending time on on developing it, you know, so it's, yeah. it's something everybody can do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, even a simple, another simple tool is just to ask more questions, yeah. right? So children, if you, <laughs> they are notorious uh, question askers and a lot of the innovation folks, you know, like Elon Musk and so on, they ask tons of questions because question asking then inspires curiosity and curiosity inspires new ways of thinking and, and so on right like why does why you know a great question is just to ask why why is it the yeah. way it is and it's not to be that you're trying to not you're trying to be disruptive or any of that type of thing you're just you're just leaning in to understand why the things are the way they are 
and uh, actually I did a, a video yesterday uh, on 50 questions, which is a tool that I love. And I, uh, I was looking through some old notes as a design student that I took and I, my example was a fork. And so I was looking at my questions. And I was like, why are there four prongs on a fork? Like who said four prongs was a good idea? Why isn't it three <laughs> yeah. or six or five, you know? And why is it rounded on the, you know, the, the prong part? Why isn't it angular or, or, you know, and those questions can actually lead to different ideas, which then leads to more innovation. So just asking more questions in your day, yeah. you know, you can try to set a goal. Like I'm gonna ask 25 questions today, just throughout the day, just have a ticker and just, the more questions that we ask, the, the, the more innovative we can become. And again, that's just feeling the creativity that we all have. Mm, I love so, that. So now over lunch today, I'm going to lose a ton of time because I'm going to be wondering about my cutlery. <laughs> That's right. So <laughs> Look at your take, knife. <laughs> it's got a spoon. Why? No, I, but I, I love it, right? And there's a thread of what you're talking about, which is this notion of being processing the world around you yeah. and actually noticing it and being yes. present to it, right? So yeah. much of us go about our day-to-day -day world with kind of a, a mindset of just doing tasks rather than allowing us to process and connect different dots with stimuli that we have. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I'll, I'll connect that, uh, let me connect that back to Chick-fil-A because I know you have so much passion about that and we know that Roz wants to talk about it. So I'll use it <laughs> as a way to, to migrate us back to Chick-fil-A. Uh, it, it, it always fascinates me and I have tremendous respect for the company, um, you know, because I've known, I've known a number of people there and I just, I, I, there's just so much about how well run they are in so many ways. But the world of um, QSRs, quick service restaurants, the world of QSR is, is an operator's world, right? It's about operational efficiency, right? Mm -hmm. It's about, you know, managing operators in the field in multi-unit locations and doing it in a way that's really effective and efficient. It doesn't necessarily lend itself to a world where we would have innovation coaches running around in any organizational function to try to <laughs> blow up things and make something different. It's actually a sustainable operator model. So this notion of an operator model versus an innovator innovator model, I think is really fascinating. And I'd love mm -hmm. your perspectives on it, maybe in general, and then around how you saw it at Chick-fil-A, and then that'll give Roz a platform to ask her Chick-fil-A questions. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a tension that a lot of organizations face, right? You have, your, your business exists because you've done something very well and you need to maintain the business, right? So you gotta keep the bus running. But at the same time, you can't keep the bus running in the way it always was because disruption can happen at any time from a new competitor, from a global pandemic, right? You, we never know the forces at play that might affect that. So you need innovation running at the same time. But innovation is very different from operating the bus, right? Because it's different type of mindsets, different type of thinking, all those types of things. So I, I see, or a trend that I've seen in, in corporate America is having sort of like two organizations, one supporting the business and keeping the bus running, and then a separate organization or a dotted line to the organization that is able to innovate and be left alone and people aren't asking question, too many questions or what's the ROI, <laughs> those types of questions that would kill innovation. And, and I've seen, you know, State Farms created their separate offshoot. Uh, Mercedes-Benz has their separate offshoot. So you're, you're seeing a model like that because there are different uh, forces at play and it's a it's, it's difficult to manage both organizations at the same time. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and <clears throat> so as you have picked up, I'm a big fan of Chick-fil-A. And uh, <laughs> I, love, I love everything about the brand. And, you know, I've been living in the States now for three years. Um, okay. I'm, in, I'm in the South, so I'm in Nashville. So Chick-fil-A is everywhere here. Yeah. Um, and I just love the concept of, you know, the quality control process right down to the fact that they, you know, really principle-led 
brand you know they don't open on Sundays because of the Mm -hmm. principles that they follow the staff training I mean the staff are phenomenal some of the friendliest staff I've seen in a in the restaurant would particularly in, in in chain type brands um, you know, it's just head and shoulders above. I mean, not, let's not even go onto the avocado ranch dressing, you know, I'll park that for now. Um, you know, just this, the signature, the signature um, flavors as well. But how did you go about approaching the concept of innovation at Chick-fil-A? So what I want to, our readers to leave here with is every time they go into a Chick-fil-A store again or go through the drive-through is to think about this conversation, to think about Leo and go, I never realized so much thought went into this brand. Like, how did you approach innovation, particularly with that brand? What were the things you looked at? Yeah, you, you know, I, I always told people that I walked into something amazing. So I joined Chick-fil-A in 2017. And to me, they've, they had a very established innovation process. They had a, a team set up. They had Hatch, their innovation center. They had the innovation coaches set up. Uh, they had a taxonomy. So I've, I've done a talk on building a thriving culture of uh, innovation. And, and most of that is experiences what I saw at State Farm and what I've seen at Chick-fil-A. And so I believe Chick-fil-A just, the, the people prior to me, I mean, they really understood what it was like. And, and one, of the, one of the huge things was our CEO, Dan Cathy. He, he believed that he wanted Chick-fil-A to be an innovative company. So in 2009, I believe it was, he had this vision that we needed a, a space for it. And so he, he, he blessed the, the concept of Hatch, which is the innovation center that started in December 12, 2012. So 12, 12, 12 was its launch. And that became the, the place where you could prototype, you can try ideas, you could test things, people would kind of leave you alone. They knew it was an experimental place. And so you could actually try ideas. And it was such a huge commitment because Chick-fil-A's Hatch Center now is 30,000 square feet. And I've never seen an innovation center that large in any organization that I've visited. And that's such a huge testimony to his belief in how important innovation was. Here's a space that you could go into and try out ideas and it's okay if it doesn't work, it, it fails if you're, you know, the whole cycle, it's, 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 it's such a huge testimony of their belief in innovation. And then when I came along, I, I thought about having to, again, going back to developing innovators, I'm like, how can I actually really equip people to actually practice innovation. And, and so I, I, ch- I kind of tra- changed it into a, a hybrid where you could do innovation work, but you could also learn about innovation. You could learn about the different steps in the process. There was actually content on the wall. So if, kind of like an innovation museum, if you will, that you could actually go around and Patrick saw this, you could walk around and read the content and then you have workspaces where you then you could actually do. So it was like this fusion of training and education plus uh, an actual space where you could do innovation. So uh, I think that was something that they set up really, really well. And I, I just walked into it and started playing with what I saw and uh, started crafting different things. But I also think Chick-fil-A has a core value called We Pursue What's Next. So it's a it's a core value around innovation. It's one of the four uh, core values that Chick-fil-A has. And so they really believe that innovation is important, that everybody should innovate. So again, if you're in legal or in finance or in sort of these non-traditional innovation roles that you can still think differently because what's next is not what's here today, right? What's what's that new way to get there? And so innovation is a platform that does that. And, and people could walk away saying Chick-fil-A's innovation center is about food, right? It's a, because that's the core product. Right. And again, having had the opportunity to be in the center, you you wouldn't actually know what core business Chick-fil-A was in, frankly. You wouldn't actually yeah, know that that's it's right. a food-based restaurant. It is an innovation space to foster innovative thinking across right. whatever discipline that really works. Yeah. And, and I'll also tag to that. I worked on a team called Enterprise Innovation. And so Enterprise Innovation's 
goal was really to help sort of curate, encourage, build an innovative culture at Chick-fil-A. So it wasn't, we weren't supporting any one team. It was all teams, which means that like you, Patrick, most customers would see the menu, like menu innovation, right? We had, we have one of those teams, but there's many teams. There's the legal team and there's procurement and finance and so on. And so every, any team needed innovation. And so enterprise innovation's goal was to support all teams that, and to kind of be the cheerleader for innovation, be like, how can we help you think differently about your work? So we, there was a very supportive model that was there. And then Hatch again was open to all, any, any employee. So if you were on legal, you can come in and, and use the facilities and use the, you know, the space to innovate what you're working on. It's so so do all do all new employees go through a training in the Hatch Center? So everyone from the lady or guy at the counter taking the order to I mean, does everyone go through it? Yeah, we had uh, we had two classes. It's now this sort of on demand class. But while the, while I was there, we had two classes. One was called Innovation Basics, and one was called Innovation Process. So it was part of your new staff checklist. You had to come to hatch it was on the first well i think it was on day one or day two of your tour of uh, chick-fil-a and you would come to hatch and i'd probably be the person sharing with you what it's all about telling you the structures that are in place and then it was on your checklist to take the class so you you got an overview of what innovation looked like and and then you were given all the support structures and resources that you needed to help you actually do innovation very cool um so Roz, do we have to go talk about the avocado ranch or are we good <laughs> it is the best i never used to even touch ranch dressing i was like oh mayonnaise and then somebody gave it to me and they didn't tell me what it was and now i'm a little bit hooked on it i must say <laughs> america's been been good on many fronts not not so much on the hips though <laughs> so i, 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 I blame chick-fil-a for that i've made it i've made a note Roz, that you and i may have to send a note to uh the former CMO of uh, Chick-fil-A, Steve Robinson, who uh, has a couple of books out about how they create raving fans and stuff. And I think you and Steve would get along remarkably well. On the podcast. <laughs> um, so, uh, Leo, I want to go back to, you made a, you mentioned the phrase earlier, kind of creating a space of psychological safety for innovation. And I yeah. know you have a bunch of workshops where you unpack this stuff for people. Actually, I'll park this here now and I'll come back after you answer. Um, I know that you have the opportunity to speak at South by Southwest and you're actually kind of advocating for one or more workshops of yours to meet the voting process that yes. they have there. So I'll talk about that in a little bit. So sure. I'll, I'll make a note there, but talk about psychological safety. Talk about you know this notion of safety first, I think is what you call your your, yeah. your workshop empowering courageous innovation so yeah. talk a little bit about what people get inside of that workshop yeah so one of the i think one of the challenges of innovation just generally is that it's very human-centered right it's, it involves humans and it, it involves vulnerability when we share new ideas when we're talking about the gray and the unknown it's a very fearful place as a designer, I knew this as a designer, I, I actually had such a, a thing in my head that I, my wife would sometimes watch me design things and I would literally be like, you cannot stand there behind me. Like I'm freaking out right now. I don't, I don't know if you're looking at my screen. I don't know what you're thinking. I'm like, please just, you know what, just leave the room. And when I'm done, I'll let you come back in. And then when I'm done, you can see it. Right. But innovation is not, uh, Hey, let me show it to you when it's fully baked. And I've had every single thing ironed out and all that. It's this sort of very, messy environment where you don't know what's going on you're trying to figure it out and so it requires a lot of vulnerability and and especially even if you're just sharing an idea with someone 
I know as a designer that uh, I, I had a lot, and this might just be me, but I think it's a bit more common, but there's a lot of fear when you share something new with someone. How are they going to respond? Are they going to frown at you? Are they going to be like, that's the worst idea I've ever heard? They might shame you, humiliate you. I mean, all sorts of things could happen, right? And so if you don't feel psychologically safe within yourself to share that, or if you're in an environment where that's just not present, where people are shaming you or saying, oh, laugh at you or whatever it is, then it's extremely harmful, not only to the individual, but to the output of that individual. So if you think about, if I were to share an idea with you and Patrick, you laughed your head off at me, I might come back with you with another idea with it, which is less bold, which is less risky, which something is probably gonna work, right? Because I don't want that experience. So this kind of psychological safety, I think is fundamental and foundational for anybody to feel okay to share something. And I can give you a, a use case example. Yeah. So it goes back to Chick-fil-A <laughs> a lot, of, but that the whole idea, I joined Chick-fil-A and I was hired to make innovation better. And one of the things that I quickly noticed that was interesting was Hatch. When I, when I got there, I noticed that there was not a lot of foot traffic during any given day. And I wondered why there's this 30,000 square foot facility. It was an incredible place, but I didn't see a lot of people wandering around. And I wondered why that was. So I, as I kind of dug into that, I realized they, they moved locations uh, a year prior. Uh, they had less prototyping happening. Uh, there were less teams kind of moving through. And so it kind of got off the, the grid, so to speak. And so, and so there were and teams, the teams transitioned over new people on the team and so on. And so people, it just kind of took a backseat. And I wondered why, because I was this new guy from State Farm and at State Farm, if there was any MP space, it would become a cube farm. So I was like, well, why is this? And so I started researching and asking questions and kind of finding out like what happened and was the history and all of that. And I was like, I think I could make this space better. But I didn't want to be the, the new guys like, oh yeah, Leo just got hired. He's just going to redesign everything and, and so forth, right? And there was actually a plan in place to redesign some of Hatch for the following year. They already earmarked budget for that. So I didn't really want to just be the new guy to just like throw in stuff. So I sat on this idea for like months, Patrick. I was just kind of, uh, okay, let's just, I'll just kind of look around and poke the bear a little bit and see what's going on behind the scenes. And so finally one day I was like, you know what? They hired me to make innovation better. I have an idea. I need to share something. I was super scared, like so vulnerable. Like I was like, oh. so I went to my boss and I was just, I don't even remember what I said, but it was just something of the nature of like, I have, like, I have this idea of redesigning a hatch. Like I I've done some research and I have, I'm like, would you be willing to listen? And I was, you know, I was expecting to say, no, we have a plan in place. Like, thanks, but no thanks. And he was like, he's like, yeah, what do you got? He's like, tell me what you're thinking. And so he responded with me with safety. He, he invited me into this narrative that alleviated my fear made me comfortable. I'm like, okay. So I shared with him some of my thoughts. And then he was like, this was great. This is amazing. He's like, let's share with our VP. Let's do this this week. Like, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> He's like, do you have a deck? I'm like, no, let me work on all that. And so I, I, then again, I shared the idea with our VP and he had no idea of any context that I was doing this. He also was like, this is great. You know, like, this is amazing. This is what we need. Let's do it. You know? And, and I was always expecting a no, and it would have been fair for them to say no, because they already had a plan in place and they had budgeted and all that. And so this is, I like to say that this is like my, my quintessential amazing story about why it's so important. Because if they had said no to me, I probably would have been like, oh, okay. I would have felt defeated. I probably wouldn't have shared any bold ideas anymore. Right. Like you just don't know what happens to people when, when that happens. And so it's so critical for us to have that environment of safety with each other so that we can innovate with each other. It's, it, I love the word you used is environment, right? You have to create the conditions yeah. for the right things to happen 
not necessarily according to a predetermined plan all the time, right? Which right. is part of this courageousness of yours. So that's yeah. a so that's a talk that you seek to give at South by Southwest, correct? It is. It's a workshop that I submitted that uh, it needs to be voted on from the community. But I'd, I'd love to present it at South by Southwest because I think it's such a critical example. And Patrick, I'll tell you a quick story on the opposite of psychological safety. So as a design student in one of my first year courses, Typography One, uh, there's this thing called the critique. So every time you design something, you present it in front of the class. Yeah. And then everybody gets to tell you what they think. And I think this is a terrible idea. This is <laughs> good, bad, or indifferent. They'll tell you what they think, right? And so it comes to my professor and he, he's looking at my work. And then he starts to do, uh, he starts to rip up my, my design. He literally picks it up and starts ripping it. And I'm, I'm mortified, like I'm literally mortified as I watch him do this. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, and I'm, I'm dying inside. Like, I'm hurt. I'm like, I was like rethinking life. I'm like, do I even want to be in design anymore? Like, I was humiliated after that day. And I literally went home that day just feeling so bad about myself. And he, what he was trying to do was just to show me how it could be different. But I'm like, there's probably a different way to show that. Right. Um, and I literally thought, I'm like, do I really need to be designed anymore? Like, I was actually really hurt by that. I was scarred by that experience because it wasn't psychologically safe for me. There were so many different ways he could have responded. Like, hey, Leo, this is really good. But there's some other ideas that you could have used. Like, maybe you could have tried this or this or this. Or let me let me build on this and what you created. This is a good start. Like, there's so many different ways. But he literally ripped it to shreds. And if you think about it, how often does that happen in our organizations where we rip things to shreds? We might not intentionally do that out of right. any kind of trying to be mean or anything, but we might say something like, oh, we've tried that before. No, you know, that five years ago we did that. No, oh, nobody has an appetite for that. You know, like we say stuff like that that can actually be very hurtful. And so that environment and creating that environment is so, so, so critical. Yeah. So if you, yeah. if you, if you, dear listeners, want to see that happen at South by Southwest, then we'll, we'll include a link in the show notes to where you might click on and go vote up Leo's talk to uh, thank you. make sure he can get on the stage at South by Southwest. So, I would awesome. appreciate thank it. You for, thank you for sharing that, Leo. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And as we start to wind down, I just... I, I was thinking of, a, we had a guest um, on early when we first started called Mahul Kapadia, um, and he used to run the Formula One business for Tata Communications. And one of the things he said that he learned during his time with Formula One was everyone is a team together and mm -hmm. the leaders model the behavior that they want um, the, the team to display. So, you know, after a race, everyone will get into, you know, a room, the drivers, the cockpit crew, everybody, and they all discuss, you know, the strengths and the weaknesses of the race, who did well, who didn't do well. So it was just an open, safe forum mm -hmm. where everybody discussed everything like a family. And yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't calling one person out. It was just the culture and the process and the, you know, the successes were rewarded together. The failures mm -hmm. were carried together. Yeah. You know, and it was really it's, it's exactly what you're saying is is you know having that that space and and being you know being vulnerable, but also leading by example. You know, in a yeah. team, which is which is fantastic. So wonderful to have you on the show. Um, we're definitely going to get our, our listeners to vote you up there and see you see you on that stage. And um, just been really great to to chat to you again. So thank you for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Ross. And to our listeners, stay tuned for the rest of season four. We have some uh, other exciting guests joining us as well, from strategists to performing arts to photography. Um, so hopefully, um, you know, that, that teases your interest for, for the lineup for the rest of our season and looking forward to, to be getting back on the show soon.